Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is October 14th. David Gasper here with co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors of ReviewingTheBrew.com. And today we're going to discuss the upcoming offseason, uh, including contract options, team needs, arbitration eligibles, uh, payroll outlook, a whole bunch of stuff. And to do so today, we are joined by Doug Russell, formerly of ESPN Milwaukee and current host of the aptly named Doug Russell podcast. Uh, Doug, welcome to the show. David, appreciate it. Matt, good to talk to you again. Yeah, when I, as I have always liked to say, when somebody was looking for someone to host the Doug Russell podcast, it was fortunate that I indeed did possess that name. So here we yeah. go. The the perfect choice for for the show. So uh, awesome, great to have you here. Um, so let's just let, let's get right into it. Huge off season coming up, basically for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, a lot of things to look at, a lot of changes that probably have to be made. Um, a lot of needs, most of them on offense, um, third base, first base, uh, catcher. Brewers could really use some upgrades all there. They could maybe use some more rotation depth. I uh, could never get enough of that. Doug, what do you think is the biggest team need that the Brewers have to address this offseason? More money. Um, because honestly, I mean, COVID has, baseball was already, as you guys well know, you know, the, the big market teams have to, uh, well, they, they can afford to make more mistakes than the brewers and other small market teams like the Royals and the Indians and and, and clubs like that. So it's not a guarantee that everything that the Dodgers or Yankees or Angels it's not a guarantee that every move that they make is is going to be great, but their margin of error is like, well, if it doesn't work with this guy, we can just turn the page and move on to the next guy. And yes, it's going to cost Artie Moreno or the Guggenheim group, maybe a, a couple tens of millions of dollars, but that's okay. It can't cost Mark Adonacio that the margin of error is so slim. So when you have the situation that major league baseball, and for that matter, the rest of society had this past year and continues to have with COVID with, you know, losing all of that revenue with fans coming into the stands, a 60 game truncated season. When you add all of that up, I I've seen reports that the brewers have lost upwards of $150 million. I don't know if that's true or not, but they didn't make money this year. That's for sure. Uh, and in years past teams were making money with, you know, ML BAM and all the television revenue that they were able to have. So, yes, the Brewers have needs on the field, and I know that we're going to get into that. You mentioned a couple of them, third base, first base. Uh, and I, I think Luis Arias may be the, the solution at third base, so maybe that's a natural fit over there. Um, at first base, they're still searching. Um, it'll be nice to have Lorenzo Cain back next year, but yeah. Abasel Garcia has to hit. You know, that's that's – just has to be something that happens. So the number one element that the brewers don't have and they're not going to have that they need is more cash. Fortunately, I guess Robin or uh, 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 Ryan Braun's uh, salary finally comes off the books next year, but you know, Christian Yelich's starts to kick in in the years to come. So it's, it's going to be a delicate balancing act for David Stearns in the off season. Yeah, we talked a little bit last week about Stern's comments about how, you know, payroll, there's a good chance that it could, um, if anything, get lower, probably not go up. Um, so, yeah, yeah, like you said, it's other teams have a 
larger margin for error. It means the Brewers have to be, you know, close to perfect with the decisions they make over the offseason with who they keep. Um, it could mean they completely reset. Um, there's some easy, you know, contract options not to pick up. You know, beginning of the season, we were talking about they were going to have all these uh, option decisions in the offseason. Well, after a few DFAs, it turns out we actually only have a few. Um, right. So, you know, you've got your Sogard, you've got your Braun, you've got uh, Gamel, and then um, uh, Jerko in there. You know, we've talked about how Jerko seems to be kind of the one that would make the most sense to pick up. But uh, if you look at his contract, he's actually got some um, incentives that could potentially raise his option to $7 million. Um, everyone had that 4.5 in their head. I don't know that he hits that because it was based off plate appearances. Um, and I believe it's over the length of the contract. So obviously this season brought that ability down. But it is something to factor in when deciding whether or not to keep him. Um, as is, like you said, the potentially smaller payroll. So depending on where they go with those options, the team needs could end up being both corner infield spots again. It's hard to know until they start going through that. Yeah, and I'm not sure what position Jed Jerko is now listed at. I know he was a third baseman at the beginning of the season. He wound up playing a lot of first base this past year, and I thought he did an actually halfway decent job over there at first base. And the thing that I liked about Jerko is he just – He's not a superstar. He's never going to be a superstar, but it seemed as though he was at least a steadying kind of guy in there, really even keel, which I think this team really needed. But you mentioned uh, something there, Matt, about the fact that the, the Brewers have to be perfect, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about, about margin of error. Not only do the Brewers have to be perfect or near perfect with the the players that they decide to pick up and the players that they decide to bring in, but they've got to produce. The biggest disappointment that I have this past year is that guys that were supposed to produce didn't produce. Christian Yelich, back-to-back, uh, you know, batting titles, could have won back-to-back MVP awards if not for fouling the ball off of his knee and then Cody Bellinger getting the MVP award in 2019. He could have and perhaps should have been back-to-back MVPs. He hit barely over the Mendoza line this year. You can't hit 205 if you're a back-to-back batting champion. And I think that you know, they say in baseball, hitting is contagious, right? Uh, Keston Hira didn't hit this past year. Ryan Braun at the end of his contract, perhaps at the end of his career, he didn't really hit that much this year, although I do think that there are still some uh, some ways that he can, if he wants to be uh, back with the Brewers, that he can be productive. But a guy like Eric Sogard, I know that they were really counting on Eric Sogard to do something close to what he was able to do in 2019 when he was with the Tampa Bay Rays, and that just never materialized. So... I know he's a fan favorite, but if hard decisions are going to have to be made, if I'm David Stearns, I'm more apt to keep a guy like Jerko and less likely to keep a guy like Sogard, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, looking at those guys and just kind of how they produce, I mean, Sogard, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about Sogard. I mean, great clubhouse guy, Mm -hmm. you know, good leader, defensively versatile. I mean, he's pretty well defensively. He came up in the clutch a lot this year, actually. He hit like 379, I think, in high leverage situations. But overall in the season, he hit 209. He had a sub 300 on base percentage. He had a 52 OPS plus, which was even worse than Omar Narvaez. You know, he just didn't produce enough offensively. And, you know, because of that, we we saw more starts with Jace Peterson and, you know, Luis Urias and, and all these other guys at third. Sogard wasn't really able to to hold it down, you know, as, as guys like Brock Holt and whoever else weren't able to 
to come up. So it, it just made things, yeah, that much more difficult. And Sogard was coming off a career year, and they gave him $4 million. Coming off a bad year, they're going to pay him four and a half next year. I, I don't see that happening. So, um, but I mean, that just kind of goes right into, you know, I was going to talk about, you know, should they, you know, pick up these guys' options? And, you know, as you guys both were mentioning, you know, Jed Jerko is probably the most likely guy to get picked up. You know, he's got his, his four and a half million dollar uh, guarantee at least. Um, and then there's also Ben Gamble, who has a club option. He, even if that gets declined, he still goes through arbitration and the Brewers still have control over him. But he's got a two and a half million dollar, a two point five five million dollar option for next year as well. Yeah, you have to pay somebody, though, right? I mean, if it's not going yeah. to be Ben Gamble, it's and here's the other part about COVID that really kind of throws everything kind of up against the wall and, and makes this off season important, but next spring training really important as well. These guys that were at the alternate training site up in Appleton at Fox City Stadium, they didn't see game action. It was all, okay, let's show up for the workout every day. So there's no real numbers that you can compare some of the guys that were at the minor league camp to what they were doing at the major league camp. So for anybody, David Stearns included, the number crunchers and you guys who are, I mean, I respect the hell out of what you guys do because you guys really take a really deep dive into some of these uh, minor leaguers, but there was no numbers that you could actually look at for these minor leaguers. It's it's all based on on feel and, and things like that. And, you know, there are fewer scouts now at the major league level because of, again, COVID and the fact that uh, everybody around Major League Baseball is tightening their belts. So th- the biggest known is the unknown, I guess, this offseason. And, and I don't say that to, to duck the, the question because it was a good one. I don't know that David Stearns has the answers to all of these things yet. And to me, that's the, the biggest unknown about uh, about the 2020 baseball season moving into 2021 is because, you know, I, I wish I had the answers. I'm, I'm sure David Stearns wishes he had the answers at his end of the season news conference last week. He said, look, a lot of the guys that we brought in in the offseason just didn't pan out. You mentioned a couple of them. I mean, Brock Holt was a guy who in Boston was a fan favorite and came to Milwaukee, and there were so many – even Red Sox fans said, I'm a Brewers fan now because I love Brock Holt. Brock Holt couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat when he got to the Brewers. <laughs> so, unfortunately, sometimes these things happen. But the guys that you need to produce have to produce. You mentioned Omar Narvaez. Omar Narvaez did nothing this year offensively. And that's a question. And, and Stearns even talked about that uh, last week, Tuesday as well, whether or not they bring him back. Because the hitter that he was in Seattle, they just never saw. We never saw. Uh, in Milwaukee. So there's a lot of question marks, man. This is more question marks this offseason than I think any other offseason that I can remember, honestly. Yeah, I think I think Ben Gamble in particular gives a good example of what direction the Brewers might go in because you look at him, 2.5 million, like you said, um, that's not terrible for, you know, a backup outfielder in most situations. But if they're already going to be in a payroll pinch and you've got cheaper options back there like Tyrone Taylor and Mark Mathias, I mean, you could see him go potentially. I don't think it would be absolutely unheard of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way that the whole thing is is really kind of shaken out and as Doug really kind of raises a good point, it's like, there's so many unknowns about this offseason. David Stearns has even admitted, he's like, I don't know how this offseason is going to go. 
like he doesn't know how the market is going to how, how the market's going to shake out in free agency. Are the top guys still going to get big money or is their amount of money going to come down from, you know, what they probably should get? Um, you know, the trade market, how are you going to um, make any sort of additions there? I mean, no one has really kind of seen these prospects, as Doug pointed out. No one has seen them play. And I mean, the Brewers weren't really sharing their information with other teams. So if you weren't, if you weren't able to see those prospects at those training sites, and even then there's only so much you can take for them, but your scouting reports on some of these top prospects are a year old. You don't know how they could have developed in the meantime. So it just, I, I kind of want to kick it back to the, to the team need discussion. Um, so like, obviously like getting more money um, or having more money available would be the biggest need. Um, but in terms of just kind of like on the field, um, what they, what they need to get, where they need the most improvement out of, um, would you say it's a uh, third base? Would you say it's catcher first, uh, uh, something else? Where, where do you think is the, the biggest place that, that they got to address? I think they need to know who their everyday third baseman and first baseman are going to be. Those are the power positions. You need your corner infielders to actually produce and to know who they're going to be on a day-in and day-out basis. I, I, I think that's important. I know Craig Council likes to downplay that. He has his player position groups, um, and he says the, the goal is to score more runs than the other team, just like with the pitchers. It's The goal is to get 27 outs no matter how you get them. That's all well and good, but that's not how baseball players are wired. And I think Craig knows that. I mean, one of the things that I that I give him a lot of credit for, he's been a master at taking what he has and squeezing every last drop out of them. But that didn't happen this year. And I don't know if you put the blame on Andy Haynes. I don't know if you put I don't put the, the blame on Craig Council. I think COVID has a lot to do with it because it was, you know, such a. Uh, you know, spring training right up until almost the last week or so of spring training. And then it was just cut. And then uh, everybody kind of dispersed for three months, which didn't help anybody. But it also, you know, a couple of the guys that we've already mentioned that you count on to contribute didn't contribute. What would the Brewers season have looked like if Christian Yelich had a Christian Yelich season? What would the, the Brewers season have looked like if Keston Hira had a Keston Hira season? So those guys are going to be back, obviously. But I do think you need some answers at third base and first base. Maybe Urias is maybe the, the answer at third base. I know that he was brought in to compete um, at shortstop, but, you know, I, I, I think that that answer um, probably has has been answered already. So at first base, I don't think Jed Jerko is your everyday first baseman. Um, I think Orlando Arcia is your everyday shortstop. So if you meet, if you then move Urias over to third base, I guess that sort of answers that question. Um, so first base for me, Lorenzo Cain will be back. And then Avi Garcia's got to contribute. He's got to hit. I thought he played a decent center field in Lorenzo Cain's absence this year, but he's got to hit if he's going to be your everyday left fielder or right fielder. So catcher's obviously a big one too. I mean, we just keep picking this one after another after another because, again, the guy that they brought in from Seattle, Omar Narvaez, didn't do anything, didn't do squat behind or squat at the plate. So you're going to have you know, turnover with your pitching staff every year. So that's just add that onto the list. But 
as far as like the everyday position player groups, it's got to be the corner infielders, right? Yeah. And I mean, Omar Narvaez behind the plate. I mean, literally all he did was squat behind the plate. Like that's, <laughs> that's all he did just go down. That's fair. Uh, you, yeah. were, you were holding on. To, you were just waiting. I, I was holding on. As, as, yeah. As soon as he said I appreciate said it, that. That's the, nice. The, the pun. Like, I, I just I just can't resist it sometimes. Um, but yeah, like the, the whole catching group was absolutely atrocious for the Brewers this year. I mean, Omar Narvaez was hitting like 176. Jacob Nottingham comes up. He's he had a buck 88 and he struck out 20 times in 48 at bats. He wasn't doing much better. Like, I know there's a lot of love for Jacob Nottingham on Brewers Twitter, but I just don't see it offensively. He's a, he's a good defensive catcher, but the bat just isn't there. Um, as soon as Manny Pena went out, uh, they really kind of lost their best offensive catcher. So, you know, maybe with just another year, I, I think Omar Narvaez can be okay. Because um, I mean, he's been consistently a, a 270 to 280 type hitter. Consistently and, you even, over- and you don't even need that. It's nice to get that. But even if he hits 250 or 260, that's at least contributing yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's something better than a 53 OPS plus. I mean, that's oh god. It's yeah, it was it was bad for for Narvaez this year. But yeah, corner infield uh, for for sure though. I, I think is something that they're going to need to bring uh, something in from the outside possibly to address. I mean, Dan Vogelbach. He hit 328 over the final couple of weeks of the season. But historically, Dan Vogelbach is not a 300-type hitter. He's a 200-type hitter. Like he, He's a barely over-the-Mendoza line kind of guy that just hits a bunch of dingers. So is the small sample size of 50 to 60 at-bats going to be enough to you know, convince the Brewers, like, hey, maybe Dan Vogelbach can hit you know, 250, 260 over a whole season with, with some decent pop? I, I don't necessarily think so, but there's not much on the free agent market at first base. There's not much on the trade market at first base. So I don't know if they're going to get too much better in, in terms of options uh, at first base than what they currently have with Vogelbach and, and Jerko. Well, and, and that, and you also have to think about whether or not there's going to be a designated hitter next year in the National right. League as well. So. Right. And, and I'm sure, and David Stearns even was asked about it. He's like, I don't know, sure would like to know, because that's <laughs> going to be important for National League clubs as to whether or not they need to have someone who is that bat. And and maybe that's, look, if Ryan Braun does come back, I don't think that, I personally think that he's done. But if he does come back for the Brewers, I stick him over at first base. I mean, he's a natural infielder. I know that he can field the position. Uh, hopefully that will whether there's a DH or not, I, I think that he's your best option over there at first base with what they have. And maybe there's an area where he can contribute over there for one last season in front of the fans. So he can go out with, you know, some style. I think he deserves that. I think he's earned mm-hmm. that. Um, and outfield is set as long as Ave Garcia contributes something offensively. So they don't really have anything else unless Stearns does what he does and and finds these bargain basement guys that contribute, guys like you know Jesus Aguilar. I mean, he was lightning in a bottle. Vogelbach, we were talking about him yeah. for a, a moment ago, just kind of lightning in a bottle. So these guys are all great to have, but I, I I don't know who's going to be available. And you know, unless you dip into the Korean league again, Eric Thames, you know, he contributed. Obviously, he started off contributing by hitting everything in the month of April when he was first brought in and then, you know, regress to the mean. But how many times can you go get another Josh Lindblom who 
you know, he was the MVP of the Korean League and then came to Milwaukee and wasn't. So it's it's difficult. There aren't that many avenues, especially without minor league baseball, from which to kind of draw on, you know, some of your numbers from this past year. Yeah, I think more than anything this next year, I would kind of agreeing with what you were saying earlier, like just less platoons, you know, you can get by with one or two here or there and council is good at managing those when he needs them. But he went into this season with platoons everywhere, but left and center and second base essentially. And I mean, you can get by with, you know, one at catcher that's common for most teams. Um, but again, I agree. Like I would like to see an everyday or mostly everyday first baseman, um, hopefully third baseman as well. Maybe you platoon DH along with catcher. I don't know, but, um, just more steadiness, something closer to what we've seen in prior seasons. Obviously last year you had the added effect of, nobody producing (laughs) that doesn't help your case when it comes to you know what resulted from the platoons all over the field but at the same time i i agree with the what you said it's the way that baseball players are wired they need to be a lot of them need to be playing every day or almost every day and so more steady performers more consistent at bats in the lineup um would be my preference going into next year and again like we keep saying that that begins at the corner infield spots and and the fewer uh, platoon players you have i mean that means that the better the player is they didn't have a platoon at second base because well i mean maybe it's a bad example for keston hero last year because he only hit what, about 218 or something like that but he's your everyday second baseman for a reason uh christian yelich is in the everyday lineup for a reason you want guys to be good and, you know, Craig Council, I think, is good at managing platoons because for much of his playing career, he was a platoon player. I mean, I go back to, you know, when Ryan Braun was first called up in uh, May of 2007, he was called up to be the Brewers third baseman because the two guys that they had playing third base weren't getting it done. Those guys were Tony Graffanino and Craig Council. So that's throwing it back to Tony Graffanino. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a platoon that wasn't working out. So. The, the fewer platoon players you have, I guess by definition, they're better players, but you, you can't just have platoons all over the field and expect to compete. You can have platoons all over the field and Craig can work some of his magic. And that's how I think they squeaked into the playoffs. Um, but again, you know, you want to sustain that and not in a season where the top eight teams in each league actually get to the playoffs. And, they got in with a losing record. I mean, it is what it is. Nobody contributed on offense this year except for Vogelbach late. But, yeah, you, you need something that's more consistent than that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Brewers, I mean, finding good hitters is, generally speaking, easier to do than finding good pitchers. Mm-hmm. You know, finding the, those top-of-the-line guys like a Woodruff or a Burns, um, They like they have the pitching staff. And like this is like so much different than any Brewers team in the past, where it's mostly been based on the offense carrying the pitching. But this year it was the pitching carrying the offense. So like if if they can just get that offense right back to where it needs to be, they have the pitching to really kind of kind of get it there. Yeah, um, Burns was great. I mean, the the leap that 
uh, Corbin Burns took this past season was remarkable. And, and Woodruff is a stud and an ace. And I, I, I think it's a shame what happened to Jimmy Nelson a couple of years ago. But could you oh, imagine yeah. if Jimmy Nelson was at, you know, his apex as Burns started to come into his own and what Woodruff has been able to do? And I still think there's a lot of talent in Adrian Hauser. He just kind of never got it all together consistently this past season. Adrian Hauser kind of had a Corbin Burns 2019 kind yeah, of where, where yeah. he just couldn't find That's it. Good point. Yeah, yeah, great point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so I still think there's something there with Hauser. And he just maybe he's got to get back into the lab and, and they've got to deconstruct what happened in 2020 with him. But I, you know, with the bullpen set up the way that it is, one of the best in all of baseball. Yeah, just somebody needed to contribute offensively this year and, and guys that should have didn't. So I don't think this team is that far away, but whatever happened offensively this year was yeah. just mind numbing. Yeah. You, you just need the hitters uh, at this point. And I think one way that they could possibly get them um, is by trading Josh Hader. This has been something that has been kind of talked about for the past couple of years. You know, are the Brewers going to end up trading him at some point? A lot of teams have called about him. They, they, they're very interested. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the White Sox, the Padres, all those kinds of teams are, are interested in Josh Hader. And a bunch of them actually have the the player capital to be able to to acquire him. Um, Josh Hader made four point one million dollars this year, um, or in a full season, what what it would have been. Um, next year in arbitration, maybe goes up to seven million, eight million, something like that. I haven't seen any arbitration projections come out yet. But with as we've talked about the tight payroll structure that the Brewers are going to have. Ford paying seven or eight million dollars to one reliever as good as he is when you have several other really good relievers that can fill his role just as fine and that's where kind of the breakout of Devin Williams really helps mm-hmm. the Brewers and you know you trade Josh Hader I mean you can get an impact third baseman or an impact first baseman or an impact catcher uh, right away and probably another pitcher or two and, and maybe a decent prospect as well um, you can fill those kinds of holes while kind of cutting down on your payroll uh, if you trade Josh Hader. So, um, Doug, I'll ask you, do you think Josh Hader gets traded this offseason? I think he should get traded this offseason. I think David Stearns knows that, too, and you brought up Devin Williams. And, you know, his emergence makes it that much more palatable, especially for Brewers fans, because with relief pitchers, I mean, you guys listen, uh, guys know this as well as anyone, the shelf life of a great relief pitcher it's not very long, and sure. I I would venture a guess as to say that Josh Hader's best days as a major league player are in the rearview mirror as opposed to in front of him, and if you can get something for him, I don't know that they're going to get like a frontline first baseman and a prospect. It might be a top-of-the-line prospect and a couple of lesser prospects. I, I don't see that there are that many teams that are that desperate that they're going to trade for a closer for the very reason that I mentioned. Um, teams have seen when he comes unraveled, it, it's ugly. When, when he can't locate and when his command is off, I mean, he's, uh, it, it's, it's like I'm screaming at my television, pull him, pull him, and scramble the Jets, get somebody up in the bullpen. Um, and other teams have seen this too. Yes, uh, when he dials it back and when he's got the slider working, he's as good as any closer in baseball. But, again, when you've got Devin Williams just kind of sitting there waiting in the wings and you can get something for 
for Hader. I think they have to go out. I think David Stearns has to go out there and explore it. You don't want to give him away. I don't think that he, his value is maybe as high as, as maybe you might think, David, but they can get something back, in my opinion, uh, yeah. decent for for Josh Hader, and I think that they need to go out there and explore that. Yeah, I think I keep talking myself more and more into a higher percentage chance that he gets traded. I think for a while, I when the season ended, I was hovering right around, right around that 50%, and um, I'm feeling more like it's going to be the case that he, not just because of the fact that value-wise it makes the most sense to trade him now, but again, just the more they talk about the payroll and how tight it's going to be going into next season. Remember, we have guys like Corey Knable, if they actually make an offer, he was at $5 million. You know, he'll stay the same at worst. Um, maybe they don't, maybe they not tender him, I don't know. But, you know, the contract options that we don't pick up may largely or mostly get offset with arbitration raises, uh, Dan Vogelbach is a super two as well as Brandon Woodruff this year. I don't know what Vogelbach actually makes, but you know, you have all those money decisions to come into play. I think the question is kind of what you're getting at what Stearns wants for Hayter. Does he want someone who can contribute right now offensively? Does he want prospects for the future or prospects he can then spin around for something else like offense? Um, I think that's tough. And that's going to have to be a decision that gets made, I think, relatively early. Um, Stearns likes making trades in the offseason. I, I mentioned it last week that outside of Hader, there's not a lot of obvious options to make for trades outside of maybe Arcia, who raised his stock with the highest OPS and OPS plus of his career. Granted, it's not like they were astronomical, but for him, they were good. And sometimes that's all you want at shortstop is someone who can be great defensively and have a you know just get by on OPS average whatever but he's really the only other main option unless Stearns pulls another one of those you know trade a lesser known prospect for um, a name like Narvaez to come out of seemingly nowhere but uh, like was also mentioned earlier no minor league season no video on prospects I feel like those types of trades are way less likely to happen this offseason so um, I'm definitely leaning more and more every day like uh, we've seen the last Decatur in a Brewer uniform. Yeah, and because of the hole at third base, and, and again, we were talking about uh, you rise uh, a little while ago, um, maybe he's your third baseman. I think that with Orlando Arcia finally doing what David Stearns a year ago had challenged him to do and become a productive player offensively and defensively, you've got to protect the assets at the positions that you need. And Urias, you know, being someone who can play both shortstop and second base and third base, that, you know, makes trading RC a possible, but they're not playing from a position of strength in the infield to begin with. They are playing from a position of strength in the bullpen. So to me, that's why making Hater more available out on the open market to me makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, just, just like pegging a, a return for him is going to be kind of, kind of tough. But I, I remember at the trade deadline, um, I, I think, uh, I think it was Robert Murray or 
friend of the podcast, Robert Murray, or a couple other guys that were basically saying that. I like how you dropped were... that friend of the podcast. That's nice. Oh, yeah, dro- dropping that friend <laughs> of the podcast. That That's that. a friend yeah. there. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, he was talking um, about how basically the Brewers were kind of asking for more than what the Yankees got for a role as Chapman in 2016. So, like, they're asking for above that because Hayter had more team control than Chapman did that year. Because um, I think Chapman was just a rental. Um, so they're asking for more than that because Hayter's got several years of control. Now, I don't know if they're going to get that. Like, the the question of of getting a deal done for Hayter is more than just is is more just finding a team that is willing to pay the price. You know, the, like there are teams that they have the ability to pay it. It's the willingness that that's the issue. So finding someone who's willing to to pay such an incredibly high price, which several reporters have, have said, you know, it was astronomically high. It was ridiculously high. Um, you know, will that price come down slightly? Will teams view it as less astronomical in the offseason? Um, like those are all things that really could kind of factor into whether or not the Brewers end up trading Hayter uh, before next season. Well, and you have to look for teams that are desperate too, right? You, you have yeah. to look for teams that have minor league systems that they can afford to part with players as well as an impatient, deep-pocketed owner. When I, and, and I wouldn't necessarily call Artie Moreno impatient because I think that he's been very, maybe too patient with the best player in the world in Mike Trout, and they still, even this year, couldn't get to the playoffs. Um, they've been a disaster, and yep. so money is no object, and as Artie Moreno has shown over and over and over again with the Angels, but, you know, do they have the prospects to come back and, and you know, with the Brewers and part with a couple of their, their guys to get someone who's more ready to be a closer for a team that certainly intends to contend they they're making a general manager switch obviously um this offseason as well so that's maybe an avenue that the brewers could explore you look at a team like the yankees they're desperate as well i mean this is this is the new york yankees for crying out loud and they haven't won a world series and been to a world series since 2009 so they've been to the playoffs I, well, I know, but we're talking again. <laughs> I know. We're I, talking I know. about the Yankees. I mean, they went, you know, oh, yeah. what, 96, 97, um, 98, 2000. Yeah, they, and then yeah. 2009. I mean, they, yeah. they were used to go. They felt like it was their birthright, for crying out loud, to go to the World Series. So now it hasn't been since 2009. They may be a team that's, quote, unquote, air quotes, desperate to yeah. maybe bring in somebody like Hater to shorten games. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to mention. I think that's why the Yankees keep being brought up so much as a potential trade suitor. Sorry to bring up old memories, David, again. Um, but uh. it, they they are the ones who make the most sense, not just money-wise, but you know that they're just clamoring to get back um, in that World Series. They had another exit this year. Um, what what might they be willing to do to overpay just a little bit to bring in a guy like Hater? You know, let's... Take a look, uh, wait and see what happens to the Dodgers here, too. I, Dodgers, I was just going to bring up the Dodgers, too. Yeah, I mean, if they get knocked out yet again this season. Save some runs from game three. Um, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they scored a lot of runs tonight, uh, but that was what? They, um, they gave up the – Braves gave up the most uh, – as many runs in the first as they had given up the entire postseason. So hopefully, you know, for them this is just an aberration one day. But if the Dodgers get knocked out yet again, do they go, you know – 
shopping the uh, boutique bin trying to grab the uh, high-priced guys off the market. I think they have to because they haven't won a World Series since 1988. Now the Lakers are coming off Worlds or uh, an NBA championship. So yeah. everybody in L.A., they, one's got to top the other's got to top the other's got to top the other. And how the Dodgers, my God, how has the Dodgers not won a World Series since 1988? How is that even possible? I, I don't know, but I, I just – I just can't trust any Dodgers prospect that they're willing to part with because they have been the kind of prospect hoarders where like anyone who's actually going to end up being good, they keep and all the other highly rated ones that end up being terrible are the ones that they trade away. So whoever they're willing to part with, I I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be entirely comfortable with with what that is, but I, I think the Brewers are going to have to demand Gavin Lux, if they're going to try and um, send Josh Hader to to Los Angeles, I mean, you, you got to go for for Gavin Lux. I mean, he's not he doesn't really have a position out there in Los Angeles. They've got a loaded infield already. Lux doesn't have a position. He's a Wisconsin kid, um, very highly rated prospect, great hitter, and he could come in and be an immediate impact for the Brewers on on day one. So, I think that's something where if they go for the Dodgers, um, that they have to be willing to part with a guy in Gavin Lux that they have not been willing to part with historically um, be, because really kind of any of their other top guys that they're like, Oh yeah, well our number three or our number four prospect at you. And that'll be fine. I, I just have a hard time trusting that, that those guys will end up panning out based on history. Yeah, and the Dodgers have had, I mean, you look at all of the uh, rookies of the year award winners over the last 30 years, most of them have been Los Angeles Dodgers yeah, it's just it's nuts. Uh, as far as Gavin Lux, I mean, he'd be an instant fan favorite coming from Kenosha Indian Trail, as you mentioned, yeah. a Milwaukee area kid. Uh, so if the Brewers can pull that off, if David Stearns can pull that off, tip of the cap, I'd, I'd yeah. do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Because they, they need that hitter. They need somebody to contribute offensively. And that's just the one thing that completely escaped this team in 2020. Hey, what's uh, Brody Van Wagnon doing right now? We've been able to get a few uh, <laughs> trades that have turned out in our favor from him. Yeah, what are what are the Mets doing? Good grief. I mean, that's the yeah. great idea, putting an agent in charge of your front office. That was okay. uh, stellar. That's something Such I expect from Will Ponds. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, we can have Bloom. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen, an agent, or Doug Melvin, a retired GM. Those are our three finalists. Let's go with the agent. Uh, yeah. I'm like, and, and I then like Blue, the, Blue then was a, he was a shoe in. Yeah. He was supposed to be a shoe in. Yeah. Doug Melvin was actually their number two option. Like, <laughs> like how do you have Heim that's Bloom so ranked Mets. third? That's so Mets. How is Heim yep. Bloom? That makes no, I mean, come on. I, and I, I think the, the Mets. Yeah. I think the Mets. Mets thing ever was basically the, the full circle thing that, that happened this offseason, starting back in 2015, when the Brewers were about to trade Carlos Gomez to the Mets. Wilmer Flores was crying on the field. That <laughs> trade ends up getting scuttled. So then the next day, the Brewers send Gomez and Mike Fires to the Astros. And then a few years later, Mike Fires is the one that tells everyone about the Astros. And because of that whole scandal, the Mets had to fire Carlos Beltran as their manager before he even managed a game. I'm like, that is the most Mets thing to ever happen. That is so circuitous. I love that. That's you, you need like a Venn diagram to, you know, see everything yeah. that's 
kind of interacted with each other for that. Being like, what was it? It's always sunny in Philadelphia where he's just like got all the lines, whatever, for like Pepe Silvia or something. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm just looking all over the place and there's no Pepe Silvia. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Yeah, it's just been crazy um, over there. But um, to get back to the to the payroll discussion, uh, the Brewers have about $55 million total in re- already on the books for, 20, for 2021. Uh, $41.75 million is tied up in three players for next year, Yelich, Kane, and Garcia. Um, it's expensive had, outfield. Yeah, very, very expensive outfield. And then, so you got $55 million, million total. Let's say you pick up Jed Jerko's and Ben Gamble's option. That, that takes you to $62 million. Uh, you pick up Corey Knable and say Josh Hader sticks around, uh, you're up to 74 million. Brandon Woodruff is probably going to get what five or six million at least in arbitration this year. Yeah, that least. that takes you up to 80 million dollars. You pick up Narvaez and Arcia, that probably gets you around 85 million. If Braun comes back, you'll probably be at 87 to to 89 million. And I mean, the, they were at 97 million dollars in payroll last year, and David Stern said that it's probably going to be a little bit tighter. So if you're around, just you know, just a small decrease, say 90 to 95 million in payroll next year, you're already pretty much there before you even make any additions. Um, and, and that's not even including all the the pre-arbitration guys um, so or, or any other additions. So it, it's really going to be going to be tight and they're going to have to try to, you know, wiggle their way into finding some payroll flexibility. I question whether or not Corey Knable is going to come back just because of the injuries that he's had over the, well, specifically the, the, the elbow injury. Um, And I question whether or not Narvaez is going to come back either. One of the things that David Stearns has shown a pension for is, boy, if you're on the bubble, he's not afraid to make some difficult decisions. And if that means cutting ties with guys like Knable, Narvaez after the atrocious year that he had, and then going out and finding somebody on the bargain basement bin, he might go out and do that just for the reasons that you're talking about. So he can then maybe spend a little bit more money on, for example, perhaps a first baseman that he finds in Korea, like he did Eric Thames. I don't know. Or, or someone that the Indians cut at the end of spring training, like Jesus Aguilar, you know, about five or six years ago. So I, I don't put anything past David Stearns. And I mean that in a good way. That's a compliment. It may not sound like a compliment, but it, it's intended to be a compliment. Um, but Again, I they're just a couple of those names. I mean, Woodruff is going to get paid, obviously. They're guys that you have to bring back uh, just to have a legitimate product on the field. But if somebody didn't contribute this year, if they have injury issues in their past, I think that they may make those difficult decisions to not bring some of those recognizable names back. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so now I want to get to a game that I like to call tender or non-tender. <laughs> okay, um, let's do it. So, so let's look at, um, the, the arbitration eligible guys that, that the Brewers have, uh, tender or non-tender, um, for next year. Um, some are easy to call, some may be a little bit tougher, but first up, uh, Manny Pena had a $1.85 million salary this year. Uh, season was cut a bit short due to knee surgery. He's going to be 34 next year. Uh, tender or non-tender Manny Pena? I tender him because you need a catcher. 
Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you might mention a couple of, the, of other guys coming up that I may not have the same answer to. Uh, so I'm going to say you need to have a legitimate major league catcher on your roster. So I tender him. Yeah, I agree. Um, between what we saw from Nottingham and Narvaez, I think you have to bring back a guy who at least provides some level of offense. Um, he was starting to uh, heat up a little bit there. We had, uh, David actually, I believe, wrote the article about uh, the need to put Pena in full time when Narvaez yeah. was struggling. Um, he's shown that he can do that, especially in, you know, if they were to have a platoon situation in his past, he's been very, very good as a right-handed platoon player against lefties. Um, I think that's a pretty easy call to me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Easy call. Brewers got a tender, uh, Manny Pena. I mean, he, he was their best offensive catcher, um, until he went down with the injury. So, and it, it's going to be his final year of arbitration. Um, he's going to be a free agent after 2021. Um, but yeah, no reason not to, to bring him back for next year. All right. Uh, next up, Corey Knable, $5.125 million salary in 2020. Um, he's got, uh, this is going to be his final year of arbitration as well. He's going to be another year removed from Tommy John surgery, tender or non-tender Corey Knable. I say non-tender. Um, and that's going to be one of those tough ones. I think the price tag is just a little bit too high for the injury history that he has. It's going to be difficult because Knable has, I mean, he's been an all-star. He's been a, a steadying influence, I think, out in the bullpen. But unfortunately, I, I don't think that he's coming back. I say non-tender. Yeah, that one hurts, but I think I kind of have to agree. Um, I think part of that might depend on what does end up happening with Josh Hader. Um, if you're not committing all that money to him in the bullpen as well, maybe you have a little bit better chance. But I think that's also just kind of the the uh, soft spot in me wanting to see Knable get that next year to you know prove that he's recovered from Tommy John money-wise, though. It, uh, makes too much sense to uh, non-tender. And I don't think there's really a chance with him of non-tendering and re-signing to a smaller contract. I think someone snatches him up. Yeah, absolutely. And because of that, I'm actually, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree with you guys and say tender. Um, you know, he, he didn't really play that much this year. Um, he had a, you know, he still had like some injuries and he wasn't really kind of at his, his biggest point. So he's not really going to get much, if at all, of a raise uh, this next year. Um, and especially if they are looking to trade Josh Hader and they end up trading Josh Hader. I mean, keeping Knable, I mean, that gives you another arm with a lot of experience closing out games back there. Because, I mean, Devin Williams, for as great as he was this year, he hasn't you know, been a closer you know, historically. He, he's been the eighth inning guy, but he hasn't really been in the save situations um, so I think just kind of keeping a guy like Knable, um, even if for, for $5 million, I think it'd be good to see him um, one more year, another year removed from Tommy John's surgery. Because, I mean, he had some good moments towards the end of the year as he was kind of ramping back up. He got back up to 96, 97 miles an hour. Um, so the velocity was coming back. The curveball was was always still there. So I'm going to say tender for, for Knable. Uh, next up, Alex Claudio. He had a $1.75 million salary last year. He was non-tendered actually last year and then re-signed uh, later in the offseason, but he put up yet another ERA above four. Uh, so tender or non-tender, Alex Claudio. I'm going to say non-tender for a lot of the reasons you just said. I mean, I think that maybe they can get him at a lower price. 
And um, again, if you're coming out of the bullpen, you've got to have an ERA under four, just bottom line. Uh, That's, that's it. And again, if he can be a bargain basement guy that they find that nobody else wants, that might be an avenue to bring him back into a Brewers uniform next year, but I don't tender him. Yep. I have to agree. Once again, uh, everyone thought the three batter minimum was going to just kill him. And honestly, I give him credit for holding up as well as he did. Um, his splits against right-handers, he gave up a 268 batting average, which obviously isn't great, but I don't think it's the crazy blow-up that everyone was expecting from him. He's still way better against lefties, uh, held them closer to a 200. You're right, we're expecting the bullpen to be you know, pretty darn lights out next year, and he is, you know, at this point, I, and I'm a Alex Claudio apologist, I am on record. <laughs> as that but True. you know he is definitely the weak link there um and as outside of hater the only other lefty in the bullpen that might be his only other saving grace again maybe that's a if hater does go you keep him as for now you're one lefty i don't know but my gut still says he gets non-tendered yeah i'm gonna say non-tender as well i mean he just they, they traded the competitive balance pick for him uh, a couple years ago. And, you know, it, it was when he was coming off a year with a four something ERA with Texas, but he had like three previous years of like a sub three ERA. And it's like, Oh yeah, you know, maybe we can get him back to that. They haven't been able to get him back to that. You know, they, they've given him a couple of chances. Um, I, I just don't think it's, it's working for him here. So I'm going to say non-tender for Claudio as well. Um, Next up, everyone's uh, favorite guy to watch at bat, Jace Peterson, uh, who signed to a minor league deal uh, for 2020. He's arbitration eligible again. Uh, tender or non-tender, Jace Peterson. What, what's the price tag? What would be the price tag for him for next year? Um, it would probably not be much. Maybe around like a million, maybe less. Yeah, what the hell? I mean, I think that they need some depth in the outfield, so... He did a decent enough job. I, I would say tender him because and only because the price is right. Now, I again, there's another one I'm on record about. Non-tender, we've got Mark Mathias. There's our depth. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's all I've got to say. We do have some, uh, I don't know if you were going to touch on this uh, or not, David. We do have some Rule 5 decisions to make um, where we're going to potentially need to add some uh, players to the 40-man and so to me, that's kind of, you know, potentially one of those options to do so. Um, but again, yeah, just non-tender for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to say non-tender. I mean, he had a 400-something, or no, 393 on-base percentage, uh, but he hit 200. He had more walks than he had hits. Like He had 15 walks and nine hits. Like, not nine hits in, in 60 plate appearances. That's um, a pretty I'm small just, sample size, though. It, it is it is small, but I mean, really, um, we know what Chase Peterson is at this point. He's 30 years old. He's been in the league for seven years. Um, you know, I, I really just don't see there's much of a chance of, of him getting better. I mean, his he had a 24 percent walk rate this year. I mean, that that's completely unsustainable. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to end up happening again. I, I think they can get a, a Mark Mathias or someone else to provide similar or, or better production. Um, for a similar or lower price. Um, next up, Omar Narvaez, $2.725 million salary in 2020, um, entering arbitration for his second year. Uh, tender or non-tender, Omar Narvaez? 
if it was a year ago, I'd say absolutely tender him. Um, I think there's a better option at catcher. I don't know what that option is. We talked about Manny Pena a few minutes ago. Narvaez was awful. I mean, it's just awful. And I don't think that that price tag, granted, that's not cost prohibitive for someone who produces, obviously, in Major League Baseball, but it's too much for someone who absolutely doesn't. So I say non-tender. Yeah, while I don't think it's impossible that they would non-tender him, I am going to go with tender in this case. Um, He does have a bit of an offensive track record. Remember what we saw from him during the summer camp uh, scrimmage games? He actually, I mean, he showed some pop. He was getting hits, homers, doubles. Like, he's got the potential there. I don't know what the heck happened this season. Um, I think it's more likely that... um, we lose, uh, again, to go back to the Rule 5, Freitas and or Nottingham off the 40-man to protect um, Feliciano and or Peyton Henry, um, in which case you're already getting rid of two of the four catchers off of your 40-man roster. Um, they clearly saw something that they liked in Narvaez, and I, I kind of go the other way with it. While in previous years, um I think that they do make those decisions in the off season sometimes where they'll non-tender someone you didn't expect. Um, this year at catcher, I think they keep him around. Maybe he doesn't last all of next season. Maybe, you know, he's one of those guys that they cut bait with early, like they did Holt and smoke this season. Um, but I'm going to go with tender for now. And I feel like my gut on that could change by the day. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of at a similar point as you, Matt. I think tender at this point, um, and, and like with his salary, I mean he's not really going to get much of a raise, if at all, this year. He might actually get a, a pay decrease. I mean I think you can decrease his salary up to like 20% from the previous year, um, in, in arbitration. So I mean they could cut it down, you know, maybe you know two and a half something million. And I mean for for a catcher, I mean that that's really not that bad um, for cost, and especially you know betting on a, a possible bounce back with the offensive track record that he has. Um, but as you mentioned, Doug, I mean you can look on the the free agent market, and there's, I mean JT Romuto is obviously the big name out there. The Brewers are not mm-hmm. going to have the money available to get Romuto, um, but one guy who could be cheaper and, and could be a really good option is James McCann of the White Sox because. The White Sox just signed Yasmani Grandal to a four-year deal. McCann's out of a job down there, um, but he's been a really good offensive producer the past couple of years. And it may depend. I mean, once free agency starts, I mean, the, the Brewers will have like a month or so where they can talk to McCann and figure out where he's at and before they have to decide whether to tender or non-tender Narvaez. So I, I think depending on how talks go for other free agent catchers, um, or, or in the trade market for catchers, they can really just kind of determine, it's like, okay, are we going to be able to find a better upgrade or would it just be easier to bet on Narvaez returning to um, his old his old self? So for now, I'm going to say tender, um, but as, as Matt said, that could change depending on, on what else the Brewers do. While we're um, at it, real quick, as we're talking about free agents, can we just squash the possibility of Trevor Bauer coming to Milwaukee? <laughs> Zero chance we will be able to afford him. That guy is going to get paid. Yeah, yeah it's I, not going to happen. No. Who's, who's saying that? 
I, I people mean, on I, Twitter. I don't oh, think people okay. are predicting it, but they're hoping for it. But come yeah. on. There's people just, on Twitter. He's Trevor Bauer's doing team. like a whole like tour. Like he's like adding teams on Twitter. He's like, hey, I'm heading to Boston. Hey, I'm heading to Los Angeles. Like, hey, hey, Dodgers. Hey, Red Sox. Like, hey, all these teams. Like, you know, I'm coming to town. It's like I have never seen this happen before, especially before free agency actually opens. Um, he's a different cat, though. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Well, so he said on Twitter one time, oh, Milwaukee was neat to travel to. And then all the Brewers fans went, oh, we're getting Trevor Bauer. And no, I'm sorry, guys. It's just not happening. No, especially coming off a probable Cy Young year for him. He's going to make bank. Um, Yeah. So, all right. uh, Next up, uh, Josh Hader, $4.1 million salary last year. Um, I think that's an obvious tender call all the way around. Uh, There's no way they non-tender him. Uh, Brandon Woodruff entering his first year of arbitration. Um, Obvious tender. Let me think about that one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Okay. Ryan Healy, uh, $1 million salary uh, last year, had seven total at-bats, but he started cleanup in game two of the wild card series. So tender or non-tender for Ryan Healy? I, you know, that's one. Honestly, fellas, I have no idea. Seven at-bats, I'm going to say probably tender just because, again, you got to fill out the roster. But you were talking, I mean, I know Matt was talking about the Rule 5 guys, and and I don't know if that's an opportunity there or not, but you got to fill out the roster. So I'll say they'll they'll roll the dice on on, on Ryan Healy just because, again, I think that they, they're hoping for a little bit more from, from him to be able to participate and, and produce next year. But I, I honestly, I'm no crystal ball on that one on my end. I'm that's speculation. Yeah, I, that's another one I'd kind of go fifty-fifty with. I and for the same reasons of the is that an easy spot to kind of let go for um, a Rule Five, you know, contributor? Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm kind of the same. I I guess I was leaning non-tender going into this, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Let's not forget, by the way, um, Healy's. Uh, game earlier this season where he batted leadoff and then got pulled after his only at bat when he popped out to foul territory on the first pitch. Yeah. Man, did he create a legacy (laughs) in Milwaukee so far? Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, that that was ugly. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say non-tender for Healy simply because this was a year in which the Brewers had zero offensive production from first base or third base which are Healy's two positions, and he still could not get out of the alternate training site and make more than seven at-bats in the in the whole season. So if he wasn't even good enough to make the roster when the Brewers had nobody at those positions, I, I find it unlikely that, that he's going to get that opportunity next year. So I'm going to say non-tender. Um, and last, but certainly not least, Orlando Arcia, a $2.2 million salary in, in 2020, um, had, had the... He hit 260, had the best offensive year, uh, I think, of his career in terms of OPS. Uh, so tender or non-tender Orlando Arcia? I, to me, he's a no-brainer. Absolutely, you tender him. Absolutely, you bring him back. I don't think there's – to me, there's no real there's no real choice there. Yeah, agree. I actually remember doing a uh, preview for someone else's podcast 
for this season and saying that if Arcia failed to perform again, he it was possible he would go into this offseason as a non-tender candidate. But I think he did what he needed to do. Um, no, he wasn't an offensive MVP, but he provided that steady production. And um, I know, like David has mentioned a couple times, he was probably the most consistent offensive player mm-hmm. on yep. the team. Like, he didn't go into any of those classic Orlando Arcia slumps at any point this season, really. So it, that was good to see, and I think that's what the Brewers wanted to see. And so, yeah, absolutely, he gets tendered. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. I, I say tender Orlando Arcia. I mean, he basically won the the starting shortstop job. And, I mean, Luis Urias really kind of um, had everything going against him to start with. I mean, he had the hamate bone injury. Uh, then he got coronavirus, um, and, and he missed the first couple of weeks. So then he, like, finally got in a couple weeks into the season. And, you know, from there, Orlando Arcia was already playing well enough that Urias really didn't get much of a chance to to try to settle in at shortstop and prove himself there. But, yeah, Orlando Arcia, you know, he used he took that time without Urias there to his advantage. Um, and, and he really kind of locked down that, that shortstop job. So, I mean, he's going to get a raise for next year, but it, it's not going to be something where the Brewers are going to be like, oh, that that raise is, is too much to pay for Arcia. So, yeah, I think he's um, I think he's coming back as well. So would we uh, say that Aaron Rodgers is having the Orlando Arcia effect right now? You, you know, draft oh. that guy to come <laughs> in behind him possibly and starts performing a little bit better. I mean, maybe a little bit different. I think it's straight. Matt, I think that's a straight line. 100 okay, percent. Perfect. That's it. Let's start it on Twitter. Let's get a movement going. Love it. Love it. Oh, man. If only Orlando Arcia could could, you know, actually perform to the level Aaron Rodgers is performing at, then that would really be in a good spot. They both throw what are you talk- David, what are you talking about? If if Orlando Arcia could hit like Aaron Rodgers could throw, I mean, uh, Orlando Arcia would be hitting in, in like the two hole in the lineup. Like, we have two MVPs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, put Orlando Arcia in the MVP conversation. That'll be the day. There you go. Got that started on Twitter. Yeah. Hey, I've I've already been I already started the the Corbin Burns for Cy Young thing two years ago, and it's just now taken off. But you're a visionary. Oh yeah, yeah. I I made it my bold prediction heading into the 2019 season that that Corbin Burns was going to win Cy Young that year. Uh, it did not pan out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You're just my, a year my, early. That's fine. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. My, my Twitter mentions were rough for a year, but now, now I've got everyone on the bandwagon. So yeah, now who's talk? Now who's laughing? Yeah, yeah. It's like I got the receipts. I was on this from the beginning. Nice. You all laughed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Um, well, one final guy I, w- I want to get to. Um, Brett Anderson. Uh, he's the only true automatic free agent that the Brewers have coming into this off season. Um, 4.21 ERA t- in 10 games. Uh, he had a blister that, you know, bothered him at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. Uh, $5 million salary for this past year. Do you think the Brewers try to bring back Brett Anderson as some rotation depth for the next season? I don't think so. Not at that price. I mean, this is a guy who's bounced around the majors a bit. Um, he's a veteran. He's the, the last guy in the rotation. Um, I, I just think that they can find someone else, whether it's in the minor league system or maybe a veteran like Anderson when they picked him up in the first place that can come in and do something similar to 
that. So I, I don't I don't see any reason to to hang on to Brett Anderson for another season. Yeah, I think it depends a little bit on what ends up being out there on the market. I'm sure they uh, Stearns will try and swing another you know short cheap deal. I don't think it's a zero percent chance that Anderson ends up coming back. Um, if you know they want to spend a lot of their money on offense and want to bring back someone on you know the similar deal that he was on this season. Um, I think there's maybe a couple guys down there in the minors that possibly could pop up here um, and work out in the rotation. Will Salmon for The Athletic actually did a a really good recap article with Tom Flanagan about how some of the um, players performed at the alternate site. And a name that actually came up uh, as being relatively consistent with Zach Brown, which was surprising to see after his AAA season last year. So I, I think maybe there's like they could go that route. Um, you could see Freddie Peralta in the bullpen and then bring someone else from the minors into the bullpen or sorry, Peralta in the rotation, someone else in the bullpen. Um, if they don't go that route and if there's not someone affordable on the free agent market, I could see Anderson back. I think it's doubtful, but um, if he's in a Brewers uniform next season, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say 60-40 that that they let him go. 60% chance that they let him go. 40% that that they bring him back. But yeah, it, it really kind of depends a lot on, on how the market shakes out. Um, you know, if, if they're able to get you know a different addition, you know, say they trade Josh Hader and they're able to get you know a back end starter as part of the return for him. You know, then then they won't need Anderson. Um, but yeah, I mean they they got a lot of good young good young starters that could get that kind of opportunity. I mean, Freddie Peralta is going to be another year older. He could earn that spot. Eric Lauer, maybe after a trip to the pitching lab, uh, could, could be an option. Um, Zach Brown, he was – Zach Brown was Rule 5 eligible last year, and they left him off. Um, he didn't get selected, and, you know, now he's Rule 5 eligible again. Um, and if, um, you know, with what Flanagan was saying about, you know, how well he performed at the alternate site, they may need to protect him this year. Um so, yeah, I, I'm leaning towards they let Brett Anderson go, um, but it, it really kind of depends at this point. So I think that will do it for this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. A lot of lot of great stuff. Um, you know, huge, huge offseason coming for the Brewers and, and a lot of question marks. Um so, uh, Doug, uh, before we let you go, anything, uh, anything, any final so- thoughts you want to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, just this was just a crazy season for the Brewers, and you know, when it started, the the thought process was, well, anything can happen, and anything the Brewers could win the World Series. Well, obviously that didn't happen, but I also don't think that this is a team that that far away, as we were talking about. I mean, guys that you count on to produce just didn't produce specifically the two most important guys arguably in their everyday lineup, or maybe even the three, if you can throw in Lorenzo Cain and and they think they missed him on and off the field and he opted out and I respect his decision, but Keston here never hit and and Christian Yelich inexplicably never hurt and looks so painful up there sometimes doing it. So you hope that if it, if this is going to be a normal off season for those guys, they can come back to Phoenix in the spring or in the late, uh, late winter and, and get a full spring training and just get their head for the 2021 season, which you hope is 162 games. So 
you can write it off in a lot of ways, but the, the one thing that we said in July when things started to restart again is anything can happen. And well, we saw that this year, didn't we? Anything can happen in baseball. And, you know, when you're looking at the potentially the Rays and the Braves in the World Series, if you had that picked, more power to you. But um, I think this is an important offseason for the Brewers, but it was just a weird year. So maybe you just write it off. Yeah, I mean, we're lucky that we have a great GM in David Stearns, and he has Absolutely. this team in a position where they all are will always basically be right there, you know, just a you know couple of pickups away. And so we've got that core. Last offseason didn't work. He admitted last offseason didn't quite work. And so that's a learning experience. And so let's see what he does this offseason. Um, he has the inner ability himself to put the Brewers in a position to contend in 2021. So let's see what take steps he takes to get us there. Yeah, absolutely. And as I kind of, you know, talked about in the intro for my like uh, complete off season preview, it's like, you know, every GM, you know, sets out the finance to how can I build a world series winning roster and, and win the world series this year. And you know, I, I think David Stearns, in a way, got a little bit closer to to finding that to to getting that right answer this year, even though things kind of went a little bit haywire because of the establishment of Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff atop that rotation. Because they have now those those two legitimate frontline starters, which is something that every single World Series capable winning team is going to need. You know, the, for the past several years, I mean, the Brewers have been trying to put guys like Yolise Chassin and, and Kyle Loach, who are number three starters, and they're trying to masquerade them as number one guys. I'm like, they're they're not number ones. You know, they're, they're number threes pretending to be number ones. But now they have two legitimate number ones in, in Burns and Woodruff. So that they got that hard part down, and they got the bullpen set. It's just getting um, the offense to hit enough, which, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier – that that's much easier to find than getting those those top flight number one starters. So I, I think they're getting close to having the right answer, um, and, it, and it's just kind of a matter of David Stearns is going to have to to find it this year, and he's going to have to do so with less information because of a shorter season and less financial assets uh, to to work with. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see, but you know every every GM in baseball is going to be dealing with um, less information to, to work with, and most of them, at the very least, are, are going to be dealing with fewer financial assets to deal with. So this this is going to be kind of the offseason to separate the men from the boys, basically. Yep. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a really good show, uh, really informative. Loved having you on, Doug. Um, you are now a permanent friend of the podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. So uh, also be sure to check out Doug's podcast, the Doug Russell podcast, very aptly named, hosted by Doug Russell. Um, check that out anywhere where podcasts are are found. Right, Doug? Absolutely. Um, yeah, you named it. You know, I, I get them from, I think, Apple, but you can also get them. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on Google. You name it. We're there. Awesome. And uh, so are we. So it was great. uh, Great having you on, Doug. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next week um, as we continue to go through this offseason with another edition of the Cold Brew Podcast. Thanks for joining. Bye.